Hello and welcome to another episode of Borrowed Knowledge, a podcast where two friends and DMs practice their gift to gab and share opinions and insight on D&D, wargaming, and RPGs as a whole. So sit back, roll for perception, and borrow some knowledge from Duncan and Tristan. All right, hello listeners, welcome back to episode five, episode six, what are we on? Do you know? Six? six. We're on episode six. Episode yeah, six, old six of the Borrowed Knowledge podcast. We want to kick it off with a little bit of an apology for the the lack of updates from us. Um, we have not done the uh, the old new podcast trip to, to no longer recording lane. We instead did, took a quick trip to our studio flooding lane. Um, so we want to give a quick shout out to, to Mike Wazowski, Connor, for dealing with a uh, Dealing with a quick flood studio, but we're back. We're back in the saddle, um, and we should have some more regular recordings coming up um, in the next few weeks. So thanks for bearing with us, everybody. Anyway, yeah, and we are on to our not weekly uploads. We are going to a little bit longer than that, just because we all have other things, and we're not getting, we're not making livable wage off of this. So no, we are not. We have That's yet to actually make money off, money off, <laughs> any money off of this. And I'm Look, not sure I wasn't going to tell totally them that, okay with but... me. I'm not worried about it. Whatever. It doesn't bother me. Um, we have a this really big true. main topic. Um, it is a nice, calm, lazy Saturday afternoon here. Um, and I will dox our location by saying the weather is nice again. And that is a specific. Oh, lovely. Where we are in the world, the weather is nice. Man, I wonder if Duncan would want to record this outside. Yeah, I do. I know. Again, I think I've had like three or four episodes where I said that at the start. Um, I have a couple of news articles. Do you have any that you want to start with? Yeah, I got some quick ones. I'll just I'll just uh, yeah, start it off. it off with real quick. So the Nave Second Edition RPG is launched on Kickstarter. It just launched the other day to date this episode. Um, it's a little bit topical. Our topic. Uh, so I'll tell you in a second. So our main oh, topic for the day is hex crawls, and this mm. kind of uh, touches into that because. Nave is a OSR, old school renaissance uh, RPG that has like a focus on um, exploration focused campaigns. So less like, you know, big story form and more just going out and exploring the world, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and this it's it's very kind of rules light system, but it this specific update has a huge toolkit for running more like exploration focused campaigns. It has 75 D100 tables for creating dungeons, regions and other stuff. Holy guacamole. Um, yeah, and, and something I'll just point out with it too is that it also has a slot-based item tracking inventory, which I'm a big fan of instead of like you know worrying about carrying capacity and all that jazz. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit later in our Yeah, main it's topic. a good balance but between it like also infinite has, stuff and like, you know, infinite room and also like intense Fallout level carry weight requirements. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And it's... It's awesome because Peter Mullen does a lot of the art for it, and Peter Mullen is, like, one of my favorite fantasy artists, so mm. big fan. Cool. And uh, second second update is Stoneburner. Somehow we missed this because it seems something that you would absolutely love, Duncan. Stoneburner. It's a Doom... Yeah, it is a Doom and Deep Rock Galactic-inspired RPG that's what? all about space dwarves. Yeah, space what? dwarves exploring... Uh, yeah, space dwarves exploring asteroids and stuff like that. Um, it is rules light and also like prides itself on being very like solo player compatible so you don't need, necessarily friendly, need a group a solo friendly ttrpg of demon hunting and community building in a dwarven asteroid mine what the yeah heck it's is pretty this? sick <laughs> dude that's actually a very so good, i saw that, that and i was like go ahead good segue 
Yeah, very good segue. Well, now is the segue's gone. Is that so. what you were going to say? <laughs> yeah. Well, both of us have yeah. noticed our good segue. Listeners, unfortunately, this isn't a filmed podcast. It never will be because we prefer our privacy to some degree. <laughs> um, but behind me is a giant box of what finally arrived after a year of waiting, I think. Maybe a little bit less than that. Um, the Deep Rock Galactic board game has arrived on my shelves, courtesy Ooh. of Mood Publishing. I was the like 19,000th backer or something on Kickstarter. Um, and it was supposed to deliver wow, dude, that's... in... What? I was going to say, that's big. That's a big number. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I was really close. Yeah. I was early in the line. Um, <laughs> it was supposed to deliver last December, I think, but the war in Ukraine and the uh, insane supply chain shortages absolutely screwed them. So they've been they've been fighting battles to get stuff onto home shelves and unfortunately like, they've delayed... What? Go ahead. Like literally, are they Ukrainian based or? No, I think a lot of their. I think well, they had to cancel oh. all their entries that were in Ukraine, but they're they're European, they're Danish. Um, at the oh, office gotcha, in Copenhagen, gotcha. okay. and they, uh, or Kuvenhaun or however the hell you're supposed to pronounce it, I have no idea. Um, and the <laughs> the uh, supply situation in Europe was not great, um, and the supply chains around the world basically had a schism. So long story short, they 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 got delayed a bunch of times. Um, and independent of what um mood publishing you know i'm, I'm sure that there's there's a whole bunch of rye and or, or ire i should say there's a whole bunch of ire in the uh the instagram updates <laughs> um about how the communication is gone about how you know how we were going to get some of those updates i've seen them online talking especially on r slash board games there's been people t- folks talking about how mood publishing didn't 100 percent nail it with the communication but what i do want to do is give a huge shout out to sharon either sharon marillo or sharon Murillo, i don't know who's the community manager for mood publishing over in denmark and she is the bomb um, and regardless of how intense some of the 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 ire and the 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 hate has been flying around on the on the Kickstarter comments, some of it I think some of that frustration justified. You know, we've we keep, the game gets delayed and delayed and delayed. I think there's absolutely some reasonable justification there. Um, but you know, making making some 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 comments towards Sharon that I think were not necessarily the nicest uh, or most polite way to express their frustration. So she reached out to me actually to make sure that I got my my package and that was huge and I'm, I'm i'm very grateful um to to sharon for help and keep i think the community on track uh and the game got it i got the game and it kicks ass um if you are out there and That's you are awesome. a fan of the deep rock galactic video game the deep rock galactic board game rocks i played it last night hell hoping yeah to add it to the rotation for game night um yeah yeah it was it was a lot of fun i saw you with your hand up tristan send it yeah so you you're saying that you probably don't feel like you were held hostage uh as a pledgy for this game right man you are nailing it with these segues today goodness gracious <laughs> that brings us to our main news article of the day um i have one more after that but it's a quick one. Oh god we have to talk about it um mythic games the folks behind the semi-controversial darkest dungeon video game board game adaptation kickstarter um have uh kicked a hornet's nest yet again and are now asking their kickstarter backers for additional funding and they are holding those games hostages and essentially saying they will not be printing because of the war in ukraine is their excuse and the uh global increase in global supply chain prices global prices for for the base raw resources they use like printing etc and so on and so forth um they are asking their backers to increase their payments. Um, not only are they asking their backers to increase their payments, but um, they are not uh, going to be shipping it if you don't. You will not get your product. So I'm going to use a Wargamer Whoa. article here. Yeah. I'm going to use a Wargamer article here by Matt Bassel. Um, 
there's a bunch of really good articles. I'm just going to use the Wargamer one because it also has uh, parts of the press release that they put out, and I want to run into that. So here's the deal. There were three or four backing levels for the game initially, and they were Fresh Recruit, Trooper, um, Smooth Operator. I think I said maybe there was only three. I think there's three. Yeah, there's three. Fresh Recruit, Trooper, and Smooth Operator. And originally, those pledges were $69, bucks, 199 bucks, and $269. Now, they have openly said they are only going to make one printing of this game. Oh, excuse me. Rewind. I haven't even said what, this, what the game is. There's a video game adaptation of the Rainbow Six Siege. A board game adaptation of the Rainbow Six Siege video game. Goodness gracious. I apologize, friends. Um, and it looked really cool. Um, now, that said, there's some reasonable Whoa, wait, criticism. I thought the... Go ahead. I thought this was wait. What was the what's the darkest dungeon thing? So the darkest dungeon uh, Kickstarter they ran a couple years ago, um, and this exact oh, same thing happened. Oh, it's the same people. And it's the same oh, thing. Oh, lovely, wonderful. They they gotcha. they okay. uh, they asked for extra money for that as well. But but in this case, um, essentially what has happened is they 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 pushed out a Kickstarter for the Rainbow Six Siege ad- board game adaptation. And okay. I am not a huge fan of the whole just adapting AAA video games into miniatures-based dice rolling games, the Zombicide-esque. He okay. says after talking about Deep Rock. Deep Rock, I think, is a little bit more a better fit for this. And it's also this really cool tile placement mechanic. Um, and, and this mining is fun. It, it, it's, it's a cool way to make the game work. But in this case, it looks like it's, I don't know, like a team-based Zombicide-looking situation. But the, the game mechanics aren't super important here. What is important is the way this is being handled. So, like I said, this happened with Darkest Dungeon. They asked uh, everyone to pay again for shipping. I think it's also worth noting, I saw someone in the Reddit comments, that they included shipping in the original Kickstarter pledges and then asked people to pay shipping again. Yeah, um, you're not supposed that to money do that. Was, most, most... Right. Go ahead. Yeah, most Kickstarters nowadays will do like you'll they'll say you know shipping's not included. It'll be calculated closer to the time of printing to make sure that they don't yeah. need to wiggle it around or anything. Yeah. So like I said, for the for the Rainbow Six game, there were three pledges: Fresh Recruit, Trooper, and Smooth Operator. At those levels, the recruit folks are now being asked for another forty dollars. The Trooper pledge is asked for another a hundred dollars, and the Smooth Operating be- pledge is being asked for another a hundred and thirty dollars in addition. Um, Holy hell. Yeah. Now, they have a, a, a number they've decided to hit. And if, if enough backers... I'm going to quote the article directly here. If, an, if This is the Wargamer article again. If enough backers agree to the extra contribution, the game will be produced. But if a certain rate isn't hit, it won't be. And those who have already paid it, who've paid it already, will get their contribution back. Um, Darkest Dungeon had the same problem. More than 80% of Darkest Dungeons paid that extra fee... Or pay, Dar- Darkest Dungeon backers paid that extra fee allowing it to be delivered to over 20,000 backers, end quote. Uh, so that is a mess, and I really don't like it. I do, however, have their original press release, which I will pull up. Um, French company, so this, I think, may be a little bit broken, but English isn't their first language, so whatever. Um, all right. Reminder of what is ready. The first piece of good news is that the Six Siege board game is fully ready to print, and despite its size, we will send it to you in one wave despite its size, as though that's, like, doing you a favor. Remember, this yeah, is not real. just a game, but a whole range. Besides the core box, the Kickstarter project Six Siege the board game includes seven expansions, but also, excuse me, four cosmetic add-ons. It's a huge product, and you won't be able to get it get through it in years. Okay. But here's... The, and they give you a bunch, a bunch of free stuff, like some STLs and some free... Some, some map stuff. And then we go to here. Our production process. 
Over the past few weeks, we've approached numerous printers and suppliers from different backgrounds, giving them the exact same specifications. We compared everything to get the best price, all inclusive. Some prices were good for paper, some for ejection molding and plastic production, some included transportation logistics, ETC. All in the end, we obtained discounts and calculated the price as accurately as possible so that we only asked for the exact amount needed to complete this production. As for the miniatures themselves, we stuck with our user supplier, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, as we've said before, the combined crises of COVID and the war in Ukraine, which we had not anticipated, have changed the international situation. Prices have literally exploded in all areas, and the estimates on which we based ourselves before and during the Kickstarter campaign are absolutely no longer relevant. Worth noting, not only do they go on to say how much you have to pay, um, if you don't uh, back it, or if you don't pay the extra money, uh, you will not be getting your uh, game. You just won't be getting it. No, um, oh, okay. Getting the game is is whatever. But I thought you were about to say they wouldn't be getting their money back. If I they decided don't they were like, no, this know isn't worth it. about that either because I have been reading online. So I was not originally familiar with the Darkest Dungeon Kickstarter. I didn't realize it was as bad as it was. Um, but yeah. if, if the, the according to some of the Reddit comments I was reading, and admittedly, you know, using Reddit comments for for you know a podcast is maybe somewhat questionable. But it's you know we can talk about it anyway in terms of thematic nah, dude, it's pretty, it's pretty. The game. <laughs> Yeah, hundred. Yeah, no, it's it a hundred percent great. There's no problems with that. So, yeah, a post by uh, user Jetto on Reddit: Mythic Games will not deliver Six Siege to those who won't pay the extra contribution. Uh, translation from the original announcement in French: We will launch one and only one production run of this game. Um, that is a massive, massive bummer. Um, what are your thoughts on the, this? As someone the who's production been in all the run. Yeah, the production one I at least understand because they're noticing that like the price to produce this game in the future sucks and probably is not worth it for what they'll get out of it. Mm -hmm. What does suck about it is the people who are super excited about the game who are now no longer going to be able to get it if they're not willing to pay an extra like would you say 120 bucks in some cases? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a, that's it's a, like that's an obscene number. Yeah, that's an obscene number to ask people to pay onto the end of it like I don't know. I, I feel like that's why you're supposed to have everything basically set by the time you're going into Kickstarter because stuff like this can happen. I know Goodman Games, when they take care of their Kickstarters, they build in buffer areas with their prices for yeah. stuff to change. And if it doesn't, I mean, they kind of will eat those costs because that's what they promised already. They're not going to go back on their promise. What they will sometimes do is like during the war in Ukraine, shipping prices were like dumb, like, and, yeah. and they felt really bad about that. Like they tried to find new places, but like basically to ship out of the U S for some of their Kickstarters, dying earth, I think especially it was going to be like $90 or something like that just for shipping. Yeah. And so they were like fully willing to be like, look, if we are going to have this later on, on our store, if you want to cancel this, now and buy it on the store instead when shipping prices are more reasonable we totally understand and we'll take care of that for you as best yeah. we can like they're they really did a did a, a good job dealing with that and uh, i feel like this company what was the company again uh mythic games yeah i feel like mythic games has dropped the ball a little bit on yeah this, and i will say so i went done into it the... once before yeah and i went into the uh Right, I'll go into the Reddit comments a little bit more. Someone who was in the Darkest Dungeons Kickstarter says as follows. Those of us from the Darkest Dungeon Kickstarter that didn't pay the ransom are still left in the dark. Hey, about it, about if they'll ever <laughs> ship to us. Has to sit here whilst they flogged our stock on their website at discounted prices. Or at discounted prices, excuse me. 
Um, yeah, and then someone wrote at the bottom, the scummiest part of Mythic's ransom was that it was made after they closed the pledge manager. So everyone had already paid for their all-in oh. and whatnot, and fully only for them to turn around and go, oh, hey, about that 500 USD pledge of yours. So, yeah. Um, this is a bummer. Yeah, I would I'm never back anything from them. <laughs> no, yeah. and I never will again. And, and or never again. I, I've never done it in the first place. But I saw this floating around, and I just wanted to highlight it because... I was just part of a Kickstarter that had a, a community that was pretty upset because it took a little bit longer, but it wasn't this. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not sitting here and yeah, saying, exactly. like, you know, the, 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 just because you weren't actively committing scummy behavior means, like, you know, suck it up. At least you're not doing XYZ. Like, I get it. There are understandable frustrations around shipping times, but this is, this is unacceptable. I mean, this is a Obscene. horrible thing to put your players yeah. through. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of this. Agreed. Um, another good comment here. They did the same thing with the Darkest Dungeon board game. I had the full buy-in, but asked for a refund when they wanted us to pay extra shipping a second time. I needed to break away from sunken cost fallacy. Just convinced myself the video game alone was enough for me. Um, did you get your refund? I, in fact, did only after some backlash, though. I had to be patient and ask twice, I think. So, yeah. Yikes. This is a pretty big bummer. Um, there's some interesting back. There's some interesting sort of back and forth on why this might have happened. One of the, they, they got rid of their UK team. Um, and apparently that had a lot of game designers on it, so it increased their design timeline somewhat, um, and a lot of their their but, community managers, um, which is corporate practices, by the way. I'm not trying to make excuses. It's just interesting yeah. background information yeah, because yeah, yeah. I don't think um, the I don't think that just the increase of prices is the reason for this. Um, and I Agreed. And I if you're using that. Kickstarter, if you're using Kickstarter, like you are entering into an agreement with those people that you are going to to put out for it. And it's one of those things where if you're using Kickstarter, you your reputation is everything on Kickstarter. And if yeah. people know that you have done this now twice, people are never going to back your stuff again because it's it's just, you know, proving it over and over again. It's not like a, a game that you are waiting for it to come out and it's delaying and then the price is going up, that's whatever. But it's like these people have already bought into your product and then you're dropping the ball this bad. Yep. Yeah. So this is a this is a pretty big bummer. I've, I've, I'm seeing in the in the discourse around it that some French it's a French company. Some French backers have already reached out to the French authorities uh, about this. Obviously, Europe has oh. a much tighter uh, market legislation or market. Yeah there, yeah, there are tighter market legislative practices going on in the EU than there are in the US. So I'll be interested to see what comes out of this. But Definitely. I just wanted to highlight that. Send them love out to some folks who who backed the Six Siege board game. Even if it doesn't look like a super interesting board game to me, you deserve to get your money's worth. And it seems like you might be getting <laughs> Agreed. Might be getting the runaround on that, and that really sucks. Um, I have one more article. Yeah, I see your finger up. What's up? I was going to say, this might be your last article, but I was going to say, speaking of uh, Kickstarters that have kind of their shit together already and a bunch of their product already completed, do you want to tell us a little bit about the Alchemy RPG uh, Ooh, virtual tabletop? Man, yeah, I, I actually was, so I am a part, full disclosure, um, I was a founding member of Alchemy RPG, one of the uh, the newer tabletop virtual tabletops on the scene. Um, I have a pre-existing relationship with that company. I've spent some really good time hanging out with them at some trade shows. Um, but I've been a part of that community since, goodness gracious, 2021, 2022, something like that. Um, I think 2022. But um, it is an atmospheric-focused uh, VTT. So they're not going as hard into some of the, or at least they haven't been in the design process, I should say, going hard, hard as hard into some of the... Uh, Roll twenty esque, like really trying to integrate um, sort of more hard dice rolling, map battling situations. They're built. It's focused more on trying to build like these virtual scenes, 
um, where you've got yeah. sort of static imagery that's underlaid behind um, these motion layers, and you've got these cool audio layers. I think they're working with the the, the guy behind Tabletop Audio. Um, I cannot speak more highly of the dev team, Chris, Asher, and those folks. Um, they rock. Um, I've been using Alchemy uh, just kind of on my own because I don't really DM digitally, but just I like it. I think if I do start DM digitally at some point, it's probably what I will use. Um, but yeah, I, 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 they, they are on Kickstarter now. Um, it's effectively, I mean, it's been a working product for some time. So I think the idea behind the Kickstarter is to really put, put it into gear and especially to, talk, to, to, to get some more funding behind their system integration. They have a really yeah, close that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, they have a really close relationship with Free League. Um, they've got a bunch of like pre-made layers that are built in with a lot of the Free League games. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I think if I'm starting to come to the realization that no one will DM uh, Mutant Year Zero for me, so I will have to DM it for somebody else. Um, I think I'll probably use Alchemy for that. Um, unless I can browbeat Tristan or Connor into DMing that freaking game for me, but it looks so good for Alien. Like I looks, was looking at some oh, of the stuff oh, for Alien, yeah. and we're in the middle of a, an Alien awesome. campaign using uh, Foundry, right? And and even then, the stuff on Alchemy, which also killer. works very well, yeah, yeah, it does look really well. Yeah, um, exactly. So I'm I'm very excited to see this. I actually uh, probably will buy it after the fact and not kickstart it, uh, but I do want to get it on Alchemy because I like the look of it a lot. Yeah, and it, 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 it's really fun. I think if, if our team, if our group ends up using Alchemy more prominently for some of our remote stuff, I would be excited about that. But I mentioned Connor. Definitely. And Tristan, I have some news that I think Connor would be very, very interested in. Are you ready? Oh. So. Is it about a mountain biking RPG? No, 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 no. On May 5th, <laughs> Modifius announced that they are going to release a definitive, in their, in their, in their press release, um, <laughs> A revamped, edited, absolutely, definitively, the definitive retail edition of Mike Rayhawk's Brick Wars. Connor, do you know what Brick Wars is? I suspect the answer is no, and it's okay if not. Mm, I want to say it sounds familiar, but it probably doesn't. Brick Wars is a tabletop war game in in a similar vein to Warhammer, though it's a lot more similar, where you use your Lego pieces. And oh, you build and oh, customize your yeah. own armies <laughs> or so any odd. other types of thing because I don't think Lego IP can be anywhere near it. Um, but if you were to use construction bricks or construction toys, um, you are able to use those generic toys with this rule set. Uh, and you can make you know your characters and your armies and they battle with there's awesome points and cards and stuff. And we can put the links in the description to some of the key art. In fact, I will put it here into news just so folks can see what <laughs> it looks, looks so like. This looks so much fun. <laughs> Dude, uh, yeah. Uh, Connor, if this you want to go great. to the article I just dropped in there from Tech Raptor, um, they have some pictures of what the uh, the cards you will assign to your various minis will be as you make them yourself. Um, but yeah, so we're going to have to get that, and we're going to have to play Brick Wars in Connor's basement. Anyway, Modifius announced that. They're, gonna, they're launching a new hardback book um, of it. Um, there's an awesome quote from Mike Rayhawk, which I'll read here. <laughs> I created Brick Wars to celebrate the timeless joy of kids smashing construction toys together. And for the past 20 years, I've had the thrill of watching the community take it in directions infinitely more creative and epic and over the top than I'd ever have imagined. This ed- this updated edition is built on the rubble of their many generations of plastic empires and thousands of minifig casualties. I'm forever excited to see players create and discover all kinds of never-before-seen never creative masterpieces for their minifigs to smash into plastic bits. Now, this is not the first game to use uh, plastic construction toys as their main pieces. I'm going to avoid the IP we all think of because I don't want to make anybody angry. Um, I have uh, Mobile Suit Zero, Mobile Frame Zero, if you'll... Excuse me briefly. I'm going to go find it on my shelf. And you have to pause the recording while I grab it. 
while he's doing that, I'm going to talk about some of the other ones because I know that you can use Frostgrave. Um, I believe it was Frostgrave. Uh, and you can use that. And there's a lot of ones that support using those minifigures instead of just having to use their plastic stuff. Like they'll, they'll allow proxies is basically what they call it for other games like that. So listeners, I'm holding up on the camera a copy of Mobile Frame Zero Intercept Orbit, which is a role-playing oh. set, or excuse me, not role-playing, a tabletop wargaming rule set designed around making your own starships and having them battle one another. Um, and you have oh, that's like, pretty sick. it's so much fun. Um, and the art is killer. So I think at some point we will have to get together in Connor's basement or in my living room and play Brick Wars and also play... Uh, some 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 mobile frame zero because this is the bomb um, and it yeah I'm a really big fan of people integrating existing toys and and just making games out yeah. of that I think it's a blast it's a really cool creative endeavor so anyway well and it saves it saves money for them God, too because yeah. they don't have to print all those things yeah. like, and it's worth noting Brick Wars has been a thing like a lot yeah. of people have yeah and it's worth noting Brick Wars has been a thing since forever right like that's not a new yeah um, product I love um, the I love the IP-less art where, like, there's just enough plausible deniability <laughs> for them to be like, no, nah, this isn't, this isn't that what company. You think it it is? would never be that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so this, yeah, Brick Wars uh, is going to be absolutely killer. Um, there is a pre-order link that's up. I will probably pre-order this. Um, the Brick Wars Cool Rulebook will contain the following. A wide array of customizable weapons and abilities. These include bricks, nuclear catapults, and orange transparent chainsaws. Dozen of minifig specialists. These include the war machine fixing mechanics, impossibly strong heroes, and pizza ordering civilians. A new MOC combat oh, yeah. system meant to cover many customizable units, vehicles, vehicles, hell yeah, creatures and fortifications. New artwork by Mike Rayhawk, which I love, chaotic, uh, featuring chaotic genre-bending battles where like medieval minifigure knights will be fighting spaceships. Um, and new rules regarding the movement and dice. Yeah, this is going to be a blast. I did not I know think about this setting up some legos on connor's dining room table and playing brick wars would be so much fun yeah it's gonna be something like man you know rock raiders versus harry potter minifigures versus star wars <laughs> oh yeah and you like assign spells and stuff to like various entities okay. and you like play those cards so we're gonna have to do that all right so that is my news for the week All right, and here we are talking about some borrowed hex knowledge. Borrowed knowledge. Yes, I our, do really like that topic. intro, by the way. Yeah, it sounds. Connor, really did you play that riff on your mandolin? Is that you, or is that like a soundbite you found online? No, 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 no. That's that's something I okay created. Yeah. Connor, sick. Or, or Tristan, send it. Yeah, so there's kind of three main topics with three main RPG sources that I'm going to bring up today, and then we can talk about as we go through it. Um, and I actually have the books in front of me that if we were running this in person like I thought we were going to today, I would have been really excited for you to flip through. But it's okay. I, I was on the way to Connor's house for our studio recording, and they were like, we're doing it remote today. And I was like, oh, shit. No, no, you you had just left your house. I, just, like I was on the way. I was on the way. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so first one is Old School Essentials Holy Mountain Shaker which is by uh, Luca Rajic, again, who did, Duncan, try and pronounce Ultraviolet Grasslands. Ultraviolet Grasslands. Get <laughs> out of my so, house. 
<laughs> same author as that. This is technically a point crawl, not a hex crawl. So uh, point crawl is you're going to specific points along the journey and they have different amounts of time that go to in between them. They are essentially um, campaign story points. Whereas hex crawls is you have a map of the world. There are hexes on them that are certain different sizes and you travel through those hexes and explore what is inside. But Holy Mountain Shaker is really cool because... Um, it kind of taught me about interspersing main quest locations at certain points of the map um, and basically directing, still having an open sandbox, like freeform hex crawl world, but also giving it a little bit of structure of, okay, now you guys want to go to this point and what you explore along the way is pretty sick. Can you do me Have a you favor? heard? Yes. For our listeners who don't know what a hex crawl is, what the hell is a hex crawl? So hex crawl is like I said, it's a it's a map of your world. You got little hexes on it, um, which are six sided um, geometric shapes, and they basically hexagons. Yeah, hexagons you could say. Um, <laughs> interspersed along the map, uh, and you travel through those hexagons and explore stuff. Okay. Um, different games will use different kind of sizes for how big those hexagons actually represent. Yeah, and I know, um, I know you touched on what it is. I just I want to get I want to get a very solid explanation before we jump into no, books. No. That's fine, and it's it's a bit different than um, like just exploring and like looking at cities on a map and going there. It's like each of those hexes triggers something yeah. as you're exploring, um, and as I'll get into a little bit later, when you're creating a hex crawl, like something that is very useful for me is depending on the size of the hex, the hexagon that you are looking at. I mean, even a five mile like five mile from edge to edge hexagon just do me a favor and open up google maps on your computer and just make a five mile line and look at how much stuff is in those oh yeah um yeah and it's just it, it helps put it in perspective of like oh i can have like multiple things in here it doesn't just have to be one main location oh yeah um if you're playing yeah. a hex crawl that let me so i've never played one before full Go disclosure for it, yeah. i'd love to uh, but one of the well, things good that, for you. Uh, I'm about to run one. <laughs> great, sign me up. Um, are you using Forbidden Lands? No, oh, I'm going to use uh, that's Simbaroom a, for. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm making a, a hack of Simbaroom and a few other systems. Yeah, cool. Um, Which is what inspired me to do this episode as the main topic. Yeah, no, I, I love it. The thing that I find interesting, I really love building urban areas into my games and pretty complex cities and towns. Yeah. If you're doing a hex crawl, obviously a city is one of the hexes. Does yes. it, do you do you then get a more traditional map view? Like, oh, are yeah. you handing someone a more traditional hex map once they get into the city? Definitely. And we, you and I both use Incarnate, which is great. Yeah. And Incarnate actually helps out a lot with this because it has a function where you can zoom in on an area and it'll blow that up for you. And then you can make it more like... Um, more detailed and yeah. everything like that. Yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. more traditional of a you map. Just have to yeah, absolutely. That, you just have to export it at like a bazillion resolution because I think it'll yeah. blow your computer up. <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of what I tend to do. And it's also really cool for oh, um, the one of the D&D that's also Magic the Gathering um, worlds is, uh, is Ravnica, mm -hmm. which is really sick because it's a sprawling cityscape. Yeah, Ravnica's awesome. It. 
And it's that one is also very fun to do a hex crawl with because it's all urban and you can like like I said you can make those hexes however big you want. Yeah. So if you were doing like even a you know city that's like twenty square miles, you could still do a hex crawl and like go around the city and do those different things. The main the main part of it is leaving one hex, going into the other hex, and having something happen in that. What way. is that book called? I have it. Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. That is an yes, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a great. super fun world building. Yeah, exercise. that's actually one of that's uh one of the um. Oh, I think I gave that to you, didn't I? I think you did. I want yeah. to give a quick shout-out to a YouTuber that I really like, and I need to find his channel first. Ristic yeah, Studios, R-H-Y-S-T-I-C. I'm sorry, Ristic Studies, R-H-Y-S-T-I-Cs. Um, he, in his words, publishes video essays that explore the art, history, and culture of the collectible card game MTG. Um, it, he has an episode about Ravnica that basically yeah. talks about like the architectural inspirations. Architectural? Yeah, that's right. Inspirations yeah. of why Ravnica looks the way it does, and it's oh, that's pretty so cool. awesome. So highly yeah. recommend checking out Ristic Studies um, if you can. Uh, carry on, Tristan. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, that was great. That's a super helpful resource. And I'll link him in the description of this episode, so yeah, just rad. send that to me later on. I will. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the main one. And, and this, while it's technically not a hex crawl, it did teach me about, you know, like I said, putting those main quest locations into your hex crawl. And, you know, if you wanted a an overarching storyline rather than just like an exploration-focused game, you can do both. Mm -hmm. Then you can kind of put that in and point characters towards certain locations to go to. And then the journey is like also half the fun of the game, mm -hmm. too, when you're doing it like that, which I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Um, the second one, which is something I'm actually curious if you've heard of before. It's called The Dark of Hot Springs Island. Um, no, but the little is, inlay on that book you're holding up to your camera looks very metal. It is beautiful. Um, and you can see it also says The Dark of, like, inlaid. In yeah, that's red. That kind of reminds yes. me of the Kickstarter for um, Citadel of the Unseen Sun that's been flying. Whoa, look at that map. Yeah, the map is beautiful. Um, I'm I'm hoping that a, a good number of our listeners have have heard of Hot Springs or uh, yeah Hot Springs Island. Um, it's by it's by uh, four different authors: Jacob Hurst, Gabrielle Hernandez, Evan Peterson, and Donnie Garcia. Um, but they're under the Swordfish yeah Swordfish Islands LLC. Okay. Um, basically, they're you actually might find this really interesting for our current campaign. They're doing a bunch of like little islands that you can explore that are hex crawls um in like a sea-based like campaign is each hex a heck each island a hex or is each island uh, a each, each island is a hex crawl um so they're all different like ones that you can explore and this resource taught me so much about running hex crawls just because it is it, i mean it is a hex crawl first of all um but second of all it taught me a lot about um realizing that going back to hexes is just as interesting as exploring a hex f for the first time if you're doing it correctly. This looks awesome. Yeah, so basically the, the way that it runs is there are a bunch of different factions that interact on the island. Um, there's tables that you run each time you enter a hex and each time you go to a dungeon in a hex. It might be a completely different situation than the last time you went there because these factions are fighting over them. So it makes it very, like, feel alive to, to explore, basically, because each time even you go back to places you've already been, um, you can find something else going on there. And 
something else that it does is if you go back to hexes, there are multiple things that you can find in each hex. Yeah. So that's kind of why I was saying about that, you know, put that five mile line on your map and see what kind of interesting things are on there on Google Maps. Same thing for a hex crawl, like going back and finding something for the first, second, third time you go there um, is, is, I think, really rewarding for the players. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I, I am actually, the more you talk about this, the more I'm interested in potentially converting our campaign to one um depending yeah. on how it ends up working out but that sounds like a really cool way to drive your characters to take travel a little bit more seriously your players look yeah. at the map and they say all right i'm not just walking down this road i'm, I'm walking into a hex and i know there's going to be an event in that hex so exactly you know. or there's still a chance of there not being a hex yeah. and like depending on how much you travel per day i think it's, it's really cool something else while we're actually talking about hot springs island it, that's really cool is this book that goes alongside it a field guide to hot springs island is actually an a in world uh, resource for the players cool. that tells them stuff about the island, which is cool. pretty sick. Um, and it also has like maps where it tells you a few things that are in the hexes already. So if you're going to them, you at least have like an idea of the main things that are there, which is pretty sick. Mm -hmm. um, big fan of, of when stuff does that. Can't recommend this resource enough for people wanting to run a hex crawls. And this kind of walks you through the whole process of running your first one really, really easily. Awesome. So, so can't can't recommend it enough. What's next? Uh, the last uh, one, I've, you've, we've talked about it like a bajillion times on this podcast, but it's Forbidden Lands. Yep. Um, <laughs> so the thing that Forbidden Lands kind of taught me about hex crawls is figuring out a rules light resource tracker. And I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. We were talking about like, you know, re uh, inventory slots. Um, what, what Free League does for Forbidden Lands is you have resource dice that you track and that way it's super simple, non-invasive way of tracking your food, your water, your arrows, stuff like that, without having to like count, okay, it's been a day, I've used a ration, I have 20 rations, the all cost, they, you know, it's this heavy, I have to carry, worry about that, have to worry about this. Instead, um, you just roll a dice for it every single day to see if your rations go down or up and super easy. Yeah. What is it for um, you about hex crawls that, 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 I don't know. You find it because you're, you're like you said, you're hacking Simbaroom into a hex crawl right now. What what is yeah. driving you to do that? Um, Forbidden Lands kind of gave me some inspiration for it, and then also I'm gonna be real. I listen to uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History pretty regularly. It's a fantastic podcast about history. Um, and it spurred me into thinking of a world and exploring what that world would be like immediately after the fall of the Roman Empire. Um, so that's kind of where my inspiration lies for that. And specifically because it's like all of these cultures that are spreading out, going to different areas and, you know, one city that used to be Roman that is, you know, five miles from another city that used to be Roman could be completely different and not interact with each other and have dealt with that fall in completely different ways. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what spurred me into that and, and made me want to keep doing a hex crawl and go that more like exploration based campaign of, you know, the civilization that used to be here for ages has fallen apart. How are you going to survive as people? cool i love it no i think it's super cool yeah. I, I i mean for me i look at something that i struggle with in running a lot of my role-playing games and in particular running our campaign is where do we go right yeah. I, I i like to build with a small render distance when i'm doing my world building i want to have like a region done and then maybe run around in that region but because our game kind of has a couple mechanics, there's like a teleportation mechanic, there's a couple other things that are throwing people around all over the continent, it can be really hard to kind of fine tune and give players something that they feel like has a level of sort of narrative permanence 
Like right yeah. now, I think we've got the problem where I think our, you guys are having a lot of fun in a world, that, in a region that's very heavily inspired by Pirates of the Caribbean. But what I don't want to have happen is we get four or five more sessions and it's like, all right, well, I want to go to the next one. And I'm like, wow, well, we haven't really had time to dig into this one. So yeah. I think depending on how long we, you know, I maintain this campaign or maybe I start to wind this one down and looking up for another one. I don't think I'm going to do that. But as I try to look forward to what's next in this longer campaign that we're running, and I think we, our group is probably going to be playing for some time, yeah. um, years, that is to say. Um, as I look for what's next in the next couple months, next couple years, I think integrating a hex crawl will be a really good way to try to put some purpose behind that. Because yeah. if you don't have people running around all over the place at speed, and all of a sudden, you know, I've gone from Florida to Massachusetts in terms of distances, and I haven't had really the experience of getting there, then the distance in your game stops really meaning something. So I Definitely. think it sounds like one of the best parts about hex crawls is the distance between a space is is given a permanence in the game that that it's not necessarily given in a lot of different ways to run that type of role-playing game. Agreed, agreed. And something that uh, Forbidden Lands does that I have in my notes to also talk about is that there are benefits of having interesting, I call them vanilla locations, to plug in anywhere. So if people can see on their map and it would, like, I mean, can see anywhere on the map and are like, okay, look, it looks like there would probably be a town or a city or something here and they go there, then having just, you know, that I've used random tables to generate or that I've generated because that's something that looks cool that I want to do. And just having a stack of those on the side means that in real time I can plug them in. And what I'm doing in my my campaign is I'm printing a canvas map of the world and then I'm overlaying a hex crawl over that and I'm using stickers to mark stuff where the players have been. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, they can see in real time, whoops, I just bumped my mic. They can see in real time where they're kind of been, where they're going, and it, you can just kind of plug that stuff in in real time, which is pretty mm -hmm. sick. Um, and that also kind of spurs me into my, my final point about Forbidden Lands, which is the power of uh, random encounter tables and using them to their full extent. So I don't just mean like, you know, uh, the old A&D, AD&D, like Monster Manual had just like random encounter tables where you would just be like, okay, I'm going to pull this and it doesn't really have to make sense because you're going into a dungeon, stuff has moved in, you don't really know why these things are there. But instead looking at the world the politics the climate that you're in all of that kind of stuff and having random encounter encounters that aren't just here is an enemy fight it yeah it's, they're built into something going yep, on totally yep. and you can tailor and, some of those random encounters depending on what type of like almost hex zone you're in right like what exactly group of hexes you're in exactly and that's 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 exactly it is when you're doing a hex crawl when you're making like your gm side maps you can have different regions named and have them as specific hexes so that way when the players cross into hexes you use different random encounter tables all of that kind of stuff makes the world feel a lot more alive without a whole lot of like brain drain on yourself like you kind of front load the work a little bit and then it makes your life a lot easier as you continue running in that that hex grid world yeah, it sounds really inspiring to me. The more you talk about it, the more I kind of want to start looking at it. And it doesn't seem like it would be very hard to convert your existing world into a, Definitely into not. a hex crawl. Uh, but the not. reason I think of that is 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 it it puts sort of finite bounds on things. I look at a map and I say, I don't need to figure out every single part of this jungle. I need to figure out what of relevance happens within a five-kilometer hex of this jungle. And it exactly. might not be anything. This jungle might not have a whole lot going on in this five-kilometer hex. But if I go five kilometers the other direction, there's a town. So that's the kind exactly. of thing that as you talk about it, it sounds like a really good way to keep a lot of the stuff we all love about sort of open world games and just put bounds on them because no one really and, and i think matt colville has talked about this no one really wants an open world game open world games exactly aren't 
real. Like they aren't, aren't aren't very uh, aren't very approachable a lot of times in 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 D and D, and it it doesn't generally lead to a very satisfying experience. But something like this could give the perception of an open world game because you can go anywhere. But I've already pre planned what's in each one of those hexes, or I have random tables that are going to help me, and I know what's the context is of that hex, the narrative context of what's going on in that that five kilometer square. So or five kilometer hex, excuse me. So no, I think this is awesome. I think I think I'm glad you brought it up because. As someone like me, who's who's still kind of getting their DM chops, um, using a tool set like this that kind of doesn't say like, oh, you know, use a player, I'd use this, that, the other thing. This is very much a a theory based way to try to execute uh, an RPG session that is a lot different from the to- tools you're using or the source books or whatever. It's the theory of how to actually implement Definitely. that type of gameplay, and I think that's really cool. Agreed. And something uh, the last uh, this is actually my last thing for Forbidden Lands is. Something that it does in its base game as I'm running a, a campaign in Forbidden Lands mm-hmm. is they have this whole rumor-based system, and they basically suggest, like, hey, give your players a rumor um, once a session. And essentially what those rumors are is they'll either give you lore about a place that you're, you've already found, or they put it on your map and give you a rumor about that location. And that way it gives the players, like, more agency to be like, okay, I think we want to start making our way there because that sounds really cool. That sounds like it has loot. That sounds like it has a storyline that we want to interact with. And... I've found that even though I'm running this for players who have not really done a lot of, of RPG playing in the past, like this is the first first time in some people's cases, they're getting very engaged with, I want to go there, I want to see what that's like and experience that. And it's kind of driving the storyline to the point where I don't necessarily have to pre-plan a lot of stuff because those places that they're going to are already storyline-based locations that are some of those, you know, air quotes, vanilla places that are already done so yeah. that they that's like next session we're going here i don't have to prep anything because it's already been prepped um yeah. so i'm excited about that are, do you think those books are the main resources you would po- po- point folks at if they wanted to try to look at turning their game into a hex crawl or starting a hex crawl in the first place or are there other resources I, you'd add to that i think that there are some that might be better uh for the theory-based side of hex crawls, I would say these are what inspired me a lot into my flavor of hex crawl and and pushing me towards creating it in that way. Yeah, cool. No, I think this is awesome. I really appreciate you bringing this up in the show. Yeah, no problem. And I have have one more hex crawl-related thing, but I will leave that to just the tips. Just the tips. Loose me an arrow. Ah! Oh, it's just the tip. I'm, I'm gonna let I've talked a lot, so I'm gonna let you do your. You're gonna give me your tip first. You're gonna be disappointed because my tip is a rant. <laughs> my tip is a rant at all of you out there. Um, in especially so this is targeted at the, the the board game listeners, the the tabletop game listeners. Um, I have a favor to ask. Those of you, I want you. If you're listening to this at home, I want you to go to where you store your board games. Go look to where you store your your, your you know your big boxes of tabletop kickstarters. Your stacks upon stacks of pokemon cards you've never built a deck out of go ahead Tristan. if you're driving if you're driving turn around go home right and if go you're driving your turn around go home if you're on vacation fly home go back <laughs> go to your closet go to your shelf how much of that is still in shrink wrap how much of that has never been played now i want you to feel bad for yourself <laughs> I'm just I, I just i just i have i want to i want people to stop not playing the games they buy i've noticed this trend with a lot of my buddies who are who collect tabletop games which i think is awesome and last episode we talked about how um i think meaningful it can be to have sort of a little collection to share with your friends and your family um but 
I was talking to a buddy of mine, and he brought up how a bunch of his games are still in shrink wrap. And you know who you are out there listening to this. And I we I made sure it was cool that I roasted you. But <laughs> take your games out of shrink wrap and please play your games. That's my just the tips. It's, it, I have better ones for next episode, but I needed to get this off my chest. If you That's are in the tabletop fair. gaming hobby, please stop buying games and not playing them. Please play your games because they're fun. People are making this game, this stuff for you to play. There's a hilarious tweet from the woman who is the game, the lead game designer behind, or maybe just the sole designer, behind Wingspan, the bird watching game, which is like one of the more divisive, but also one of the more popular tabletop games out there right now. And she Ooh, tweeted that divisive? She, a lot of people, it, it's not divisive in the sense that like, you know, oh, it's politically not great. It, it, some people no. really don't like the engine building mechanics. They don't find it oh, very fun. I think it's it, okay. It. Um, it's just that it, like divisive in the sense that a lot of people really like that game and a lot of people find it not so fun. Um, I I uh, have not spent enough time with it to really have an informed opinion. Um, I love it. But That's good. I think she t- I think she put on like Twitter that like she made a golden card or like a note for like the bazillionth copy or something sold. And then she was like, no one has ever reached out to me. And someone tweeted out there was like probably sitting on the shelf unplayed. And she was responded in shrink wrap. Like, yeah, please take your games out of the shrink wrap. Anyway, that's all. That's that's my just the tips. I know it's not the most intense or the most, you know, uh, uh, intellectually stimulating, but I needed to get it off my chest, Tristan. And I, well, no, and I think it's a good point in that it's something that we can also loop into a little bit more serious in that convince your friends to play. Like, if you yeah. have people who you think that would not be interested in board games, just get them to sit down once, get them drunk, who cares, and just start playing. Consensually. <laughs> Consensually, yes. Don't, 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 don't revoke consent and tie someone to your dining room table and say, we're playing Twilight Imperium. <laughs> You see Convince this copy them. of <laughs> You see this copy of Seven Wonders? We're playing this eight times. <laughs> Twilight Imperium, you're not leaving until the next next week. It's like from it's like from uh it it uh, uh uh sounds the lambs like it puts the lotion in the basket, it moves the pawn on letters from Whitechapel or it doesn't leave my living room. <laughs> yeah, this is all real. a joke. Please please do this with your consent of your friends. Exactly. But either way, bring them in. People who I would never have thought would be into tabletop RPGs or board games. I'm looking at one of them. Connor and I... Oh, fuck. I just... (laughs) (laughs) Please, please, please. Connor, who I've known since I was in middle school, um, has, has been my friend since then. And if you would have told me that I'd be sitting here making an RPG podcast with him at the age of 20, whatever the heck we are, like, I, I would not have believed you. But here we are. Like, convince your friends to play. They'll enjoy it. And I also cannot believe I just doxed Connor. Oh, God, that's awesome. I have, I have a note here that says remove doxing. <laughs> Please keep that in. But, is that but, your just um, the tips is to tell your people to play? No, no, no. No, my just the tips. Ooh, you guys get a bonus to, this week. The, yeah, yeah. The um, it's related to the hex crawls, but essentially, don't overthink too much how you can tie your games into hex crawls. Every single system will have something that you can relate to it. And for just off the top of my head, 5th edition, you can have survival and have that related to making sure the players are going the correct way when they're exploring Mm. the wilderness. Otherwise, they could go to another completely different hex that they don't even mean to go to. And that's part of the fun. Like, just, just thinking of some mechanic that is in the system that you then can apply to your hex crawl is very easy and instead of just okay the players go here and then here and then here and then here add something for them to mess up and that's part of the fun of a mm-hmm. hex crawl is, is getting lost yeah no that's awesome i'm excited I, I think we're probably gonna have to have a conversation in the next couple of weeks about what the hex crawl that we may 
play in or start soon is going to be like. Perfect. Can't wait. All right. On to our uh, And So You Do That. And So You Do That. Oh, my God! Oh, 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 shit! And So You Do That. All right. It's time for And So You Do That, one of my favorite parts of the show. And that is where we highlight a story uh, either sent in from our, our, our great least listenership or uh, in our experience, a story that something a, a player character did or maybe something that happened around the table that we want to socialize and put a spotlight on and try to get some more attention for some of those awesome moments that happen in our favorite games. And this one is coming from probably our biggest and most loyal listener. That's right. Connor's Ever. wife. Connor's <laughs> wife. <laughs> um, who, in our campaign, plays a character called Moriko. And Moriko is a cleric. She is a Wu-Bai, which is a reskin of uh, a Pandaren from World of Warcraft. Um, and this is kind of part, and so you do that, and part maybe inspiration, maybe just the tips. Um, but she, interest, she, she expressed interest with me in trying to start a farm. Her, she wanted her character to have a farm or some kind of permanent space where Moriko could spend time with nature and could uh, generate some kind of income. And you are playing, right now, you guys are playing in a pretty transitory game, right? This is a game where, until now, you haven't really had a place to lay down roots. Uh, and it took me a long time to try to figure out how I was going to mechanically instantiate a, uh, a, a a permanent place for her to both draw income from and also build a character connection to. And originally I was kind of hesitant to agree to it because I felt like it was going to bog you guys down. It was going to tie you to a place that I hadn't originally built you to be able to be tied to, if that makes sense. Like yeah. I hadn't built yeah. it as a place that you could be locked into. Um, but she really wanted to do it. And it wasn't so much an argument as much of me just being like, like, would this satisfy that need? Would that satisfy that need? Like, well, like, what's something that I can do to help kind of meet you halfway? But if I can give a tip as a part of this, maybe just do it. Maybe just see what happens to the narrative if you can give the player the ability to have what they want. Um, I think being a yes DM, this is something that our DM for the Alien game was talking about two weeks ago, that, that being a yes DM can sometimes put us in a place where we're not really following the rules of the game or whatever. We're kind of outside the text, and that's okay. Um, in, in Alien, it's not, because it, 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 <laughs> it sometimes can put you in really weird narrative situations. Uh, but for, for games like D&D, it, it can be. So Moriko got her farm. Um, on a on a little island um, near a town that you you have been to and likely will use to some degree as a small hub, um, and right now it's working out okay. She knows that farm is there. I think it, when the campaign comes to an end, be it months or years or decades from now, Morika will know she's got her farm, and I think that's super cool. And that's something that I was really proud of our players doing, and, and I was really proud of of uh, Camila for doing. Um, was spending some time to think about what her character would do, what Moriko would do. And Camille, I know you're listening to this, and I wanted to give you a shout-out, both as our listener and as a player of mine, who I think put a lot of really cool forward thought into what her character would want to do. And uh, I think it's going to... I have some interesting plans on in how we integrate that farm moving forward as something that the, the team can... or the, the, the party can interact with. I also want to add on to that as a player in that game. That's something that I think only I was privy to from that last session where she got the farm is that she used that farm as an example to make Connor's character Hadou pay for something that was obscenely <laughs> expensive. And she shows me her character sheet and she actually had a ton of money on it and just was making Connor pay for it because he continues to steal from the group. So I, I was a big fan of that as well. Yeah, so that that is our and so you do that this week is Moriko's farm. Mail call. 
This is our listener mail portion of the show where we take, talk about our, our emails that we've getting been getting from uh, people who listen to this. Uh, let me explain listener mail one more time in a completely different way because I've already I'm, done I'm it I'm making a weird face you right now. Are you okay? <laughs> Are you having a stroke? <laughs> I'm evidently not. This is our but, listener uh, mail portion of the I, show where we read mail from our listeners, and those are people who listen to the show and send us mail. Unbelievable. But what do you I do want to take a minute. This week? I, before I, I talk about our listener mail, uh, I do want to say that it's been great to have the amount of support that we have gotten in our email. Yeah, it's from bananas. Um, we have a backlog, which is something that I would never expect that we would have for this. And so uh, I just want to say thank you to all, everyone who keeps sending those in to us for giving us things to talk about. Yeah, huge shout out to people who have been reaching out to us on on various social medias who have been sending emails. We're, we're deeply grateful, and it's going to keep this show going for a long time. Cool. So these are a few questions from our listener, Abigail, who asks, what makes a successful table? How does a GM foster good table chemistry? And what makes your tables successful? And real quick, before you start, Duncan, I just want to say that until I read this out loud, I thought this was talking about random tables. <laughs> and so now I'm very confused about what I'm going to talk about. That's so I'll really let you funny. go ahead and start. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Um, no, Abigail, very good question. Um, I, I have a little bit of a, a specific belief on this, and it's something that a, a, another DM buddy of mine and I were talking about recently. And that's um, table curation. Um, when it comes to a successful table, I think it is a matter of making sure the folks at the table feel comfortable around each other uh, enough to experiment. Um, a lot of times role-playing, good role-playing game, good good gameplay takes uh, narrative experimentation and personal experimentation with the characters that you're playing. And, you know, if you're kind of self-conscious because you don't like one person in the party or they don't get it wrong or blah, 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 then sometimes you can run into situations where players aren't really feeling relaxed enough to actually engage with the material presented to them. Like when you really think about it, um, you know, this is, we're playing theater where we're, you know, this is improv. This is a big improv exercise and improv has a whole bunch of, you know, as a, as an art discipline, as a comedic and as a theatrical discipline has a whole bunch of guidelines on how to best like yes. And somebody and this, that, the other thing, and the best intro improv groups that interact with one another and that play together. Um, they are, they generally have sort of a, a base level of understanding and comfort around one another. And if you're playing with a random group that's just thrown together with no, you know, thought to the relationships between the people in the table, um, sometimes you don't really get set up for success. So my main, I'm going I'm to answer all three questions with the same notion, and that's table curation. You want to make sure that the folks yeah. that you have together, there's no existing conflict between them. And that doesn't mean that like conflict is a bad thing. Like a lot of times you can work through it as people and you can say, hey, you guys probably need to get along for us to play or, hey, I'm, I don't really think this is this table right now or this party has a seat for you because I know you have some pre-existing stuff going on with XYZ and I don't want to bring that into the table. And, you know, mature adults hopefully will be able to handle that. Um, but can, considering that role playing games in particular are a, a deeply personal endeavor, um, you want to make sure that you're treating and those. Intimate. Yeah, and intimate, absolutely. Cheap, treating those deeply personal endeavors with the level of respect and the level of candor that I think they deserve um, is the best way to make sure that you have a good and effective table. Yeah, I agree. And that was really, really well said, Duncan. But the only thing that I'll add is sometimes those issues arise while you are playing the game. And you might have two friends that are best friends outside of the game, and one of them just plays tabletop rpgs in a certain way that is not conducive to the overall fun of your group mm -hmm. and 
having those conversations are some of the hardest the hardest things for me as a gm have never been stuff about the game Mm -hmm. it has been having some of those conversations with people who have um not respected the rest of the people at the table and those are some of the most awkward encounters to have but they they don't have to be something that causes you anxiety if, if the other person is an adult they'll listen to what you're saying and as long as you also present it in like a respectful way then they should be respectful back to you and if they don't yeah. that's their problem at that point it's not it's not anything that you have done because you're trying to watch out for everybody at the table yeah no i think it was awesome um and, and i think that's awesome i should say um and i think that's a good answer the, for our listener abigail yeah and the the one thing that i'll add as well is specifically the how does the GM foster good table chemistry read your table know who you have I've had yeah. some groups where I've gone heavy onto the humor side of things and that has been how we've had fun and I haven't worried too much about you know making some overarching ridiculous like you know amazing storyline and instead I've focused on like okay we're having fun together as a group we're dungeon crawling we're having a good time we're laughing that's that's a blast and in some cases I'll go super lore and and storyline heavy and it, it just yeah. depends on who you've got yeah I agree but yeah I think I think I hope that answers your question and I'm, I'm glad you sent it in thanks a lot thank you for the email who's that from Abigail thank you Abigail time for the quote of the day yeah, why don't you explain this absolutely horrible part of your personality that you're going to share with the <laughs> listeners? I used to I used to play Sea of Thieves competitively, and then I dunked on a kid and his dad. What is, so what is Sea of Thieves? It's a video game where you play a pirate, and I look, I was just playing the pirate, and I I I bullied a kid and his dad so bad that the kid started crying, and so I stopped playing competitively because I felt too bad. Oh my god! See, the thing is, because we don't have an in, an outro like music for for Connor's quote of the day, what ends up happening is we just finished. We, oh, do. we do, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the goal. Oh, oh right, <laughs> bong, Connor. Now that we've heard Tristan's failings as a man <laughs> and, and his his attack on this father son relationship, what is your quote of the day? It's actually really interesting that you bring up Sea of Thieves, Tristan. Uh, this, this oh quote, god, we're going to go back means. to we're going back to Aristotle. Uh, for this oh, week's no. quote of the day. Uh, and the quote is, Wishing to be friends is quick work, but friendship is a slow, ripening fruit. Uh, and Tristan, that, that fruit's going to rot away if you keep pushing Sea of Thieves on me, because I swear to God, oh. I, I'm not. I can't do it. Oh, too bad you already have the game. on a podcast. It's because you gave Whoa. it to me for free. <laughs> I didn't I buy it. You, you don't have to listen to this. Listeners, I did not pay this for interpersonal the fight. Listeners, we love you. We appreciate you. Keep sending in your mail. We're going to keep our back... Our, uh, our backlog growing, and we will see you soon for another episode of the Borrowed Knowledge Podcast. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Borrowed Knowledge Podcast. As a reminder, our hosts' views and opinions are their own and not representative of their employers or organizations with which they are affiliated. See you next week.